Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. With me is George Taylor, and George is a serial entrepreneur. He's had about 11 businesses over the years. Um, he said he's uh, did a lot of work in software and then fintech. Then he ran a hedge fund. And then he said one of his passions is NASCAR and fast cars. So he had a NASCAR team. And now he's doing um, a roll-up of uh, speed shops in various communities. And apparently there are hundreds of them, maybe even thousands across the country. George has done a lot in his career. But today we're not talking about speed. We're talking about gangs. And we're talking about young men who maybe haven't had the best break in life. And maybe they've been in prison. But George is creating a brewery and an engagement model and an employment model for young men who have had troubled lives. It's called True Colors. And that's the story that we're going to explore today. Welcome to the show, George. Thanks, Carol. I appreciate it. How did you create? What was the impetus for True Colors? You mentioned I've had a number of startups over the years or decades, and, and that's true. And we really are generally pretty disciplined and regimented startup guys. Like we build business plans and it's structured and we, you know, we do market research. Uh, True Colors broke every one of those rules because it really was never, it, it didn't start as a business. It frankly just started because I was pissed off. Okay. Um, what happened was there was a, one day I came home and saw on the news this, this gang shooting that, or drive by shooting that had occurred. And at the time, um, I didn't even know we had gangs in, in my city. Uh, I live in a gated community and work in an office. It looks kind of like Google, right? And it's completely oblivious, frankly, just, you know, unknowing of any of it. But I saw that and thought it was crazy that that was happening in our city. And I wanted to understand why. So I reached out to the district attorney, who's a friend of mine. I was like, hey, man, I, I don't get this. I want to meet whoever you think is top gangster in town because it's bullshit. And I want to understand. And that's really how it started. It was never intended to be a business. And, you know, for me, I'm, I didn't even know what impact investing or impact uh, business was at the time. This was five years ago. I didn't have a clue. But you wanted to start a brewery with a different kind of employee. So talk about the business model. It was five years ago that Shane was shot and killed in that drive-by shooting. From that moment till when we actually decided we wanted to start a business was three years later. So, it, you know, a lot of time took place between there. And during that time, you know, what I began to learn about uh, the guys that were in the gang was there's a lot of skill. I mean, if you think about it, if you're running a gang, uh, you've got leadership skills, you've got sales skills, you've got skills in collections, you know, and counting and things like this, right? 
and so the, the whole thing started. And I was like, well, I wonder, I wonder if, if you could take those street skills and convert them into legit business skills. And that's sort of how it started. And, you know, from there as we ran more, we ran several tests um, in a whole bunch of different ways, trying to understand how this might work and what the culture might look like if we were to build a company like this. And what we determined was that the primary driver of the violence was, was economic. And so if you could address the economic issue, you could overcome a lot of the social and psychological issues that were taking place, you know, on the streets. That was sort of the impetus for starting this business. Okay. Could we, could we start a business, hire all gang members, um, give them an opportunity, pay them a legit salary, um, because you got to compete with street money. Nobody's coming in for five or excuse me, for $10 an hour. And would that work? And that was sort of the impetus for starting the business. I assume you didn't know any gang members. And so you do, you are very thoughtful and methodical with your other businesses. And so where did you start to get to know individuals and to determine even if they would want to participate in this idea? I mean, it started uh, about two months after Shane was killed. Uh, That's when I got the district attorney to introduce me to who who the police and the DA's office believed was top gangster in town. And it started with that one person and he introduced me to others. And so I said, I spent like three years hanging out with the gangs, if you would. And um, learning about what was driving the violence and trying to build trust and understanding. Right. And then as that went on and, you know, began to believe that there was a way to deal with this by bringing gang members together and giving an opportunity, we began traveling around the country, looking at what other cities, uh, and organizations were doing to try and stem gang violence. And, and that was interesting too. So it was me and two or three gang guys, gang leaders would go out and visit like LA or Chicago or wherever it might be and talk to people what they're doing. And what I found was that like, there's generally two approaches to how people go at gang violence. Either they try to catch it on the front side by working with kids mm-hmm. and convincing them not to join gangs. And clearly if that was working, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. Or secondly, they work with guys that are, I don't know, 40 years or older that have been maybe incarcerated 10 or 20 years that are coming out. And the pri- their primary goal is second chance hiring and trying to really combat recidivism. Mm-hmm. There's some great examples of that. You mentioned um, Dave's Bread. Dave's uh, Bread, yeah. Really, really good. There's another one out in LA called Homeboy. Greg runs. Right. Super, super organization. Their goal is not to stop the violence. Their goal is to stop recidivism. It's completely different. My question was, okay, if we wanted to stop street violence, gang violence in our city, and we wanted to do it in the next few weeks, months at the most, not years and decades, you know, what do you have to do? You know, what we decided was, well, if you want to deal with the violence, you got to work with the people that are in the middle of or around the violence, right? And so that was sort of at the core of this was if you want to stop what's going on, you got to work with the people that are causing what's going on, right? So you started working with the lead, the top gangster in town. You went all around the country and you looked at different models and businesses. How did you settle on creating a brewery? We were looking for a business that had a lot of different types of jobs because and, and would hire a fair number of people if it grew to size. Uh, and, and the brewery fits that. We also believe strongly that beer is a great conversation starter and brings people together. You can sit down and have a beer and talk about whatever, right? And that's great. And then I have a software company called Untapped um, that's in the beer space. That it's one. It's the largest beer app in the in the world and one of the larger software companies on the commercial side as well. 
And so through that, we're very well connected in the beer space, both with retailers and brewers and distributors and that sort of thing. And so I, I believe that, you know, for those reasons, if we, if we wanted to build a business around or, or including gangs, this would be the easiest path that would provide the most opportunity um, for, for a theme. Okay, so you chose a direction and beer is a great conversation starter. So what did your colleagues say to you when you said, hey, you know, maybe we should focus on a brewery? What was their response? You mean colleagues like my gang colleagues or do you your, mean your that? gang colleagues? No, your gang. Co- I didn't know. I, I didn't know what you called them. The top <laughs> gangster or no, not, no, not the software or the fintech guys, but you know, the, the guys you were trying to help. Yeah, no, they, they were all about it, of course. Um, and, and frankly, you know, they, they were looking for opportunity and they trusted, you know, that our judgment on, you know, what business to get into and how to go about it was sound. Um, you know, their main issue was, okay, you know, here, think about it. If you're a guy, if you're a gang member and you've been arrested once, maybe twice, you've got a record, uh, you know, you grew up on the streets, you're going to look like you grew up on the streets, you're going to have tats and dreads and that sort of thing, right? And you're trying to get a job at, pick any place, it really doesn't make any difference. Any place that's paying, you know, a livable wage, it's challenging. Uh, you just can't get it done. And so, you know, their point of view was if there was opportunity, they were going to do it. In fact, you know, back in the very beginning when we used to have all these, we used, we used to have meetings at Untapped um, every Saturday morning or several Saturdays in a row. And I would invite uh, gang members. If you're an active gang member on the street, come to this meeting. I want to talk about what we're doing. I'd be up there, you know, give them a little software pitch with a PowerPoint deck on the big screen, right? Right. And asking them, and, and mind you, fully understanding and being aware that the night before, there are people in the room with me right now who've been shooting at each other. Okay. And I'm sure there's weapons well, these, in the you're room. Ri- these are rival gang members. It's not just one gang. Oh, no. Well, it doesn't work. I mean, if you get just one gang, you haven't done much of anything. Just, right. Just the others out there. You have to get the rivals together. But anyway, so they're all in this room. There's like 70 or 75 of them, maybe. And I kept asking them over and over again. I would say, look, I, you know, I'm just a little bit unsure of whether I, this is really going to solve the problem or whether the beef is really going to stop on the street. And finally, this dude, Steve, pipes and he goes, look, dude, quit asking the same question over and over again. I'm telling you that if you give us opportunity, we'll make it happen. Opportunity is a great equalizer. And when he said that, it was like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to get it. Um, and it's very, very true. Um, you know, if, if you give people, and this isn't even a gang thing, Carol. I mean, this is just human. If you give people uh, opportunity and something to work for that's bigger than themselves, I mean, who doesn't? up right uh and so yeah that's what began to happen so you okay so talk about the journey so you've gotten ann hauser bush involved so i'd love to know about that and you were on a path to open uh august 2020 it's my understanding and then covid hit so let's hold off on covid for a second talk about getting anheuser Bush interested and then some of the steps that you started, like, you know, which guys did you hire and how did you train them and how did you determine transferable capabilities? Okay. Well, those, are, so if we start with anheuser Bush, right. um, you know, we've known those guys for years because of the work we've done at untapped and they're a terrific organization and they really do care tremendously about people. Like if you, if you go into their offices, you'll see signs all over the place about, you know, how their, their mission and their corporate mission is to bring people together through beer, of course. 
for uh, and for the next hundred years because I just interviewed the AB InBev uh, chief communications officer Pablo Jimenez, who's amazing. Uh, I, you know the company AB is amazing, and you know AB InBev is amazing. They really, really care about people. Absolutely, that's that's so true. Yeah, sometimes they get a bad rap. They don't deserve it because they're they're a tremendous organization. Anyway, um, you know when they. And I didn't pitch this to them. You know, I was up there talking about untapped business and oh, somehow it came up. And, interesting. And, the unpitch. Okay. Yeah. The unpitch, right. Well, and in the beginning, frankly, you know, I didn't really feel comfortable bringing investors in because I didn't know what was going to happen. And so I funded it really up until last year. Um, anyway, you know, I was in a meeting with Pedro, who's their chief um, uh, marketing officer. Uh, and he's like, you're doing what? And he's like, we got to get involved. And, and really, that's, that was really all there was to it. And from that day, they've been incredibly supportive, patient, understanding, terrific in so many ways. So it's my understanding that you are starting with one location, one physical operation, and that's in Wilmington. Right. Yeah, we're, we, we bought a building that uh, is in the hood that used to be an old textile mill. It's about 60, 65,000 square feet, so it's a decent size. Um, and we're building a big brewery. I mean, if people... People think initially when they look at True Colors, we're more of a traditional microbrewery. We're not. Uh, the first, our first location will produce about fifty-five thousand barrels of beer a year, which, for context, is about a million cases of beer. So that's quite a bit of beer, mm, right? That's a lot of beer. <laughs> yeah, and so, and, and then also we're we're focusing on beer that we think will appeal to the widest range of people. And so, if you look at the beer market, it's broken at a very high level. Anyway, it's broken maybe into two different two different groups. One is is the is the craft uh, brewer enthusiasts, and so they love the IPAs and the stouts and porters and all that sort of thing, which which I do too. But that's only about twenty percent of the market, twenty twenty five percent, depending on where you look at it. The rest of the market is drinking lagers and more mellow beers, right? And so that's where we're focused because in order, you got to remember, like we we're a brewery because we have a mission, and the purpose of the brewery is to, of course. Facil- help facilitate that mission by bringing people together and drinking beer and all that. But also, we need to sell a lot of beer to support the mission that we're trying to build. And our, what we're trying to do here is, is a national opportunity. We're not trying to stop violence in our city or brew beer in our city. We're trying to build a blueprint and a, and a brand that moves across the country at, at a very, very fast pace. And the brand, And the brand in your eyes, in a perfect world, as things go fairly well, would stand for what? The True Colors brand stands for peace and for unity across all sorts of communities. And, and at its highest level, that's what, we, that's what we drive for. Every, every one of our key metrics is based on peace. You know, whether it's stopping street violence or uh, breaking down racial barriers or whatever, it's bringing people together in peace. And that's what the brand stands on. And everything that we do uh, is put up against that uh, lens to determine whether we're going to go forward and invest in it. Which is interesting because um, AB InBev and Anheuser-Busch, you know, bringing people together for a better world. So in having that distinct purpose, it and they also are good risk takers, you know, appropriate risk takers. Um, it was great yeah. that they saw yeah. the opportunity and said, yeah, let's take it. Let's take it forward. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't hesitate. They're, That's what they're a- true. Yes, that's when you have a very clear and activated social purpose. You can you can make decisions like that. So so that's great. Okay, so you're going to create this brewery, 
but you've got to find individuals, you know, whether it's your top gangster or some of his buddies to apply for jobs and then start getting trained. What was that process like? So in the beginning, it was a little bit challenging because everyone thought I was the police, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, oh, gosh, and you're, and you're so, dare I say, you're, no offense, but you're a white guy. Yeah, well, so I'm the white guy in the room. Yeah, we used to talk a lot about race. We don't anymore because I mean, we joke about it at this point. But, uh, you know, in the beginning, that, that was something I always asked. I would be up, remember, I'm in, I'm in front of like 70, 75 gang members on a Saturday, Saturday in the untapped conference room with this big TV on the wall doing this like startup pitch deck. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm the only white guy in the room. Oh, my son was there occasionally too. And we're like, are you good with this being led by a white guy? And everyone, the same question, our same response came back to all of this sort of thing is, look, dude, if you're going to give us opportunity, then we're with it. So yes, it doesn't make any difference. It was cool because like you could have these very, we never really worried about any kind of language. We just spoke openly. Um, you know, there's no political correctness anywhere being so on either side, but it was so effective yeah. because it just got straight to it. Right. So did you together, I mean, not that you would say, well, let's have a value session, but it seems like in the conversation, cause you had to build trust, you had to build the relationships that you had to either come up with similar language or trans, you know, a definition of transparency. So what did you come up with as a framework that you could relate to each other, build the trust and start, you know, blocking out a business? Well, like, I mean, trust comes from over time doing things that are dependable, right? So if I say I'm going to do something or they say they're going to do something and we do it, then over time that builds trust. You know, that's kind of the definition of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what it, people, guys within True Colors are my teammates will be asked that question a lot. Like, you know, basically, why do you trust this old white dude, right? And, you know, it was all the answer is always the same because he did what he said he was going to do. And over time, they begin to believe it. And that's what builds trust. We never sat in a room and sat down and thought about, you know, let's make sure we can speak together and let's cross this racial divide and economic divide. No. I mean, there were, I never treated anyone like they were any different than me. And we still don't. I don't believe in anyone coming and being a victim. We never talk with that language. We don't allow that kind of behavior. We're about, you know, one thing we're clear about, I'm not here to save anybody. We're, we're an opportunity company. And if you want opportunity, we will pour it all over you. But we're not here to, we're, we're, not, a, we're, not, a, we're not a company that's going to save you. You have to save yourself through taking advantage of what we're offering. And you're just as capable of doing it as I am. In terms of just setting up like job descriptions and finding out what people's capabilities were and beginning, I know that you had uh, something called a process to peace, and then you also created a, a disrupt university. So can you talk about some of those things? Because it wasn't just, yeah, hey, dude, and a secret handshake and whatever. You, you had to really have training. Well, so, yeah, so, the, so like the whole thing is a problem. You have to build trust and then you have to figure out what you're trying to do and then you have to train for what you're trying to do, right? And so, you know, the, sort of that third piece of what you're talking about. And for us, we have a very defined process that we've built over the past couple of years that we believe, we, we call it as our, our path to prosperity. And we believe prosperity leads to peace over time. And prosperity is not just money. Prosperity is made up of all sorts of things like relationships are Having really solid relationships are a really important component of prosperity. Anyway, the first step 
um, and, and, and moving forward with this, and this is super important for our guys, is what your beliefs are. Um, the first step is, okay, are you coming into True Colors with a whole lot of limiting beliefs, which in the case of True Colors team, that's generally the case. I mean, frankly, that's every human as well. Everyone's got limiting beliefs, right? But if you, if you grew up in the hood and you were told from age one that you are not going to amount to anything, don't worry about going to school or, uh, hey, you know, school's for white people. You don't need to do that or the whole the police are going to, whatever it may be, right? You're going to believe that stuff. Um, and so a lot of our guys will come into True Colors and they believe that they either, that they can't be successful because they grew up in the wrong zip code, their skin's the wrong color, they don't have not smart enough, whatever it might be. But if you let it drive your life, then you're stuck, right? And then, you know, the other thing that happens is we've got guys that have done stuff that, you know, you might think they're big, badass gang members, but they're still people and they've done things that haunt them. And so we have guys that come into True Color sometimes that don't think they deserve to be successful and happy. And you got to put that thing down too. So we spend the first three weeks. Uh, if you're an employee of True Colors, by the way, you come in, you spend two months in what we call our boot camp. You don't do any work. Uh, you come in and you're going to be basically going to school for two months. And we pay you, of course, but you're in, you're in, you're in this curriculum. And it's made up of classwork and physical activities and a variety of uh, um, experiential learning as well. But anyway, it starts off where we, where we talk about, okay, let's, what do you believe about yourself and the environment and the people around you? Because that will dictate the trajectory that you're going to go on as soon as you leave this class. Right. And it's really remarkable. Like they, they come, the first week is always a little bit chaotic and loud. And generally people believe that whoever speaks the loudest has the most power. <laughs> okay. And, okay. Uh, they can get a little nutty that first week, but, but, but very, very quickly. And, and, and mind you, so you're talking about a room too, where you have rival gangs. Mm. It's possible that the guy sitting across the table from you has a scar from a bullet you put in him, right? And so it's, it's a testy little environment there in the beginning, but within a week or so, it begins to change. And within three weeks, it's, it's remarkable. And we run assessments on these guys, um, talking that, that sort of evaluate where their confidence level is, where, you know, what they think about themselves and all this sort of stuff. And you can see improvement week to week. It's really quite remarkable. And, and you're going to have, when you're up and running, you'll have how many employees? 105 when we're fully staffed. That's great. And, and when you started bringing people into the program, did some of them uh, flame out and not make it through the, th the initial training? Yeah. And, and, and the first, that two month boot camp is, has an expectation that uh, we, we generally bring people in in groups of a dozen. We expect uh, two to three to flame out, as you say. And we've talked about it a lot. Um, frankly, that's okay with me. Um, it shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't be for everybody. And every and by the way, people get second, third, and fourth tries. You get to come back and try again. You got to take you get three more. You got to take three months off. Think about what went wrong, and then you can reapply. But you know, it's challenging and it should be that way because, you know, we're, like I said, we're in the opportunity business. Um, I'm not going to hold your hand all the way through this stuff. I'm not going to put off with a whole lot of nonsense either. Like, I need to know you're in it at least as much as me, hopefully more. And so, you know, for example, people flame out because they're late. And during the first two months, if you're one second late to anything, you're let go. Because we believe that's something you can control. Yeah. Um, and show me that you show me that you care enough. So, you know, being on time is being early. And it's things like that. So they, they flame out for things like that. 
but they're learning, but you're teaching a, a amazing, I mean, all of us should be on time, you know. We should, so, well, yeah. and we're speaking things like that, and that also, Carol, like, that's trust, like, you may not like the way I respond, but I will always respond the same way, that builds trust. Same way, yeah, consistent. Yeah, consistency is what trust is all about. So, you're on a path to open in August, and then COVID-19 happens which has been horrific for the world, but how has that impacted you? And I hear that you're going to still keep moving forward. And so you've made some pivots. We, as I mentioned, we're, we're, we have a very large, well, for us, a very large brewery project that we're building out. It's about a 17, $18 million project. Um, and when COVID-19 broke out, we were, we were about a month and a half, two months into a cap raise to pay for all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. so obviously that's, we pumped the brakes on that. Um, but we've got it managed, we think. Um, but so that was a little bit challenging. Um, but more importantly, I think, you know, when we looked at when, when that happened, all of a sudden in our state, like most, everyone's under quarantine, right? So we've got all of our team in their homes coming in on Zoom. Uh, and you can imagine it's, if you think about it for a regular corporation, it's difficult because People aren't used to communicating that way, so you've got to learn to do that. Uh, people aren't used to time management when they're at their house. It's a little bit more challenging, right? You've got kids around and all that sort of thing. But for us, it's even more challenging because we need to be out on the streets. Like, remember, our main goal, the reason True Colors exists is to uh, drive peace and unity. Well, it's difficult to drive peace over Zoom. I can't even, can you? Okay. Well, you can. I mean, believe it or not, we've had, we brought together rival gang members on Zoom and talked down things that might have happened, right? As insane as that sounds, but it's much, much more challenging. So, you know, that's part of what's happened. The other thing is that a lot of the jobs that people had are not really, they're not able to do uh, because they're at home. And so we've, we, we always had this thing called True Studios, which, which created content and it was basically a storytelling group. And so they tell stories about uh, our team, about our company, but they'd also tell stories about people that were in the hood. So they go into the projects and talk about, you know, what's going on there. And it gave a voice to people who frankly don't have a voice. And in the story, mm. Carol, are, I mean, some of them are sad and horrific, but some of them are absolutely amazing. Uh, stories of resiliency and all that sort of thing. So, what we did is we began to focus heavy onto that and we shifted a lot of people into, into that area. And we're, we're launching uh, next week, true colors TV. Um, We've got a studio where we filmed a a lot of, a lot of content and we'll be pushing that out on, we bought a bunch of equipment that pushes out on Facebook live, Roku, Apple TV, and I don't know, a bunch of different streaming platforms. Um, Mm. And and a lot of people are getting involved in that uh, within true colors. And then we also, um, again, trying to give people, especially gang members, things to do and bring them together, uh, bring rivals together. We are starting the True Colors Football League, which is an esports uh, game. We've got this. It's actually kind of cool. Uh, next week is when it launches, but it's it's a it's a Madden uh, twenty football game. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? The video game, right? It's I never yep. saw mm-hmm. that, but it's like watching a real football game. It's really remarkable. You can, if you're affiliated, if you're, if you're a gang member, you can sign up. And so we'll be having gangs playing each other. Uh, and it, <laughs> it's great. really cool. Uh, yeah. The, and so you, and we have brackets for sale. We're pushing out to, if you're not playing, you can fill out a bracket bracket and 
Uh, there's prizes for the brackets and prizes for the games and all that sort of thing. And probably some gambling and betting. Cause yeah, not, not through us, but I can't say what else is happening out there. I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. But for like the yes. championship, we're having a halftime show and we're bringing in some like some kids are going to do a dance, some dancing, I think, for the championship Great. halftime show. And it's, it's really cool. And, and where did that idea come from? Um, I mean, I don't know. These things just pop up. We have so many ideas. <laughs> I don't know. I frankly don't know where that came from. Do, do you find that when you're talking about, you know, un- unlocking opportunity, that as your um, colleagues, I don't know, what what are you calling your, your gang members? I mean, they're team, that, they're probably they're team members. Team members. Like any other team members. Yeah. Okay, so, so your team members, um, it, it's unlocking ideas and creativity that normally would go towards violence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can, can you give us an, any other stories about, I know that you've got the e-gaming and then you've got uh, True TV. Any other stories about, un, you know, unleashing something that would just was so profound? Well, I mean, I don't know if prof- profound is a big word, but uh, <laughs> okay. like here's something I saw the other human. day. I didn't know we were human? doing this until, so uh, there's this guy, his, his name's Griff. He's a gang member. Um, and he's really into cooking. He worked at, he used to work in uh, some restaurants around town. And he teamed up with Carol, Carolyn, who runs um, Disrupt You. So that's our, our curriculum piece, right? And they put together this cooking show where they go. And, and so True Studios has filmed it. And so they go into this, they go into the kitchen. They cook uh, some kind of chicken. I haven't seen the show yet. Uh, and, during, and, and the whole, the name of the show is Ground, or excuse me, Grounds. And the whole idea is they're using coffee ground to cook the chicken, right? But it's about being grounded during this difficult time. So they're they're doing the recipe, but the whole time they're they're pushing out uh, a true colors um, disrupt you curriculum on being grounded and focused in your career and in your personal life and all that sort of. It's pretty cool, right? That's great. Yeah, I, my God, the interpret yeah the the interpretation of that and the many uses of it is just tremendous. Yeah, so they're, they're they want to do a cooking show with they have got like twenty recipes they want to do that tie into curriculum from finance to relationships to focus to wellness to whatever it might be right yeah you should you should share them beyond uh just the true community well it'll go, out on, it'll go on on apple tv and roku and- oh great okay. i will look at it um i know that you um were you're looking for investors um individuals though that probably have they're a different type of investor they're interested in social impact and you've had some of those conversations and so um what are the types of "Quote unquote investment partners you're looking for, and the ones that have have been really interested or have invested, you know, why are they investing? When we when we go out and we talk about True Colors uh, to impact investors, what we hear over and over again is they like True Colors because everything they've seen prior to this is they say at one end of the spectrum or the other is either super philanthropic, in which case you know they don't know if it'll ever make any money, right? In which case they just soon donate through their philanthropic arm, or it's too much focused on profit without enough impact. And they, but I hear over and over again, this is the first time they've seen something where the business side of it makes perfect sense. And we've got great partners and media groups and distribution, all that sort of thing. But then the social side, especially if they meet any of our team members, they're like blown away. They're like, you got to be kidding me. You're a gang member. And it's like they're talking, it's like me and you talking here, right? And so they see, the growth that takes place with our team members. And then they look at some of the numbers around violence reduction and, and, and jobs that are created and all this sort of thing. And it's a no brainer. I assume using proxy data 
um, for uh, second chance employment, if that's if that's the social issue area you're in right now, because you haven't, you know, gone through a season of brewing. So um, how, how are you getting that data and um, what kind of future um, measurement will you use once you're up and running? We measure for, for true colors. We measure again, our second chance. Hiring is certainly a component of what goes on at True Colors. That's happening, right? But it's we see like that and poverty and racial divisiveness. These are sort of secondary drivers of violence. Remember, our, our key metric is not how many people we gave jobs to, but how much, how much, re, what sort of a reduction in violence uh, has occurred within the communities that we operate. Uh, it just so happens that the way you reduce violence is you knock down those other things, right? You give jobs and opportunity. You knock down racial divisiveness um you build trust and relationships yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah but we don't measure that in fact we have a group within true colors in the, on the social impact side called um community ambassadors there are usually two or three people that are assigned to a particular community and a community might be a housing project for example those guys uh are responsible for the overall health and well-being of that community and the way we measure it is we we track shot spotter do you got do you know what shot spotter is no. Most cities, I mean, every city pretty much has shot spotter. And what it is, it's a bunch of microphones all over the city that can triangulate uh, when they hear a gunfire. And that's how the police get to gunfire so fast. They don't wait for a call. Shot spotter lets them know. Mm. And so we track how many shots are fired within the neighbors, neighborhoods that we uh, operate. We track how many people have been shot, uh, but not killed. And then as crazy and somewhat horrific as it sounds, we track how many people were shot and killed and we track all of that. And that's the, frankly, from my perspective, that's the metric that matters. The other stuff, you've got to do good work and you got to do good work in all those other areas because that's the way you bring those numbers down. But in the end, you know, if, if we don't bring those numbers down, then we haven't done what we intended to do. We haven't, we haven't met our obligations. You get them from law enforcement. No, well, who's who's capturing the data? So, ShotSpotter, we believe it or not, uh, you can go to Twitter in our city and see it. Um, and we act and, and we pipe that into our Slack channel. Do you know what Slack is? Mm-hmm, of course. Every time ShotSpotter comes off, it goes into our chat. It automatically is fed into our channel, uh, where it's then captured and recorded, and so everyone sees it. It's pretty disturbing, actually, but it's intended to be right. It mm. should disturb you if it ever stops. Then, yeah, you know that's not good. Um, and so we're able to see that. And then from, you know, who's been shot, that's police reports and news reports and all that sort of thing. It's, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's scientific because we know we don't get direct data from the police, uh, mm-hmm. but it, we're, we're pretty close. So you, you're not brewing yet. You, the building's not up and running, but it sounds like you're already having an impact on the community. Are you seeing the shots fired numbers go down? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And over, I mean, we've been doing this for, We've been doing sort of the social mission side for a couple of years, trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. right? And there's a direct correlation I can make to when True Colors is doing a good job uh, and violence goes down significantly. We're talking like 75, 80% to when we make mistakes. And, you know, I that certainly happened too, right? It's not like I can call and go, hey, Carol, when you hired 35 active gang members, how did you solve this problem, right? And so, you know, there are times when violence has gone up and I can, I can, tell you exactly what happened uh that caused that to, to be that's i tell people people ask what's it like to work at true colors for me mm-hmm. it's yep. hard because in some i mean it's, it's wonderful in so many ways don't get me wrong but think about it like if i 
if I let someone go from untapped, for example, uncomfortable and it kind of sucks, but they're going to get another job and it's just a little bump in the road, right? If I let somebody go from true colors, it's way more than that because they're not going to get another job. And not only that, the odds of them ending up getting arrested in the next six months are over 80%. And sometimes decisions that I make unknowingly can cause violence. And so, I mean, it's, it's challenging in that regard. But the good part is, and you know, we've been at this two years now, we have a much better understanding of what works and what doesn't. Uh, and, you know, today we were able to, to do a pretty good job with it. I am sure that that your vision and your, you know, going to L.A. and other cities to really learn about other businesses and such, that the word has gotten out about what you're doing. Who has come to you, government, philanthropists, investors, um, other gang members to say, hey, I want to I want to know more. I want to get on board. Not many people because we really haven't. We, we we have spoken maybe four or five times over the past two years, and we really have tried to to lay low. So when we talk about government, and, and we had some people come from like North Carolina, North Carolina cities, and come to talk to us, but that's about it. Uh, and then we've gone to Chicago and spent a fair amount of time up there. I guess like we met with Arnie Duncan and and those guys and Rahm Emanuel, and 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 they're super interested in in what we're doing. But you know, we really try to stay focused on what we're doing here because, you know, I think I'm a startup guy. I know what it's like to get to like this stage of a company and everyone thinks that it's so amazing and cool. But the truth is like, we got to finish before we can, can start taking on other things. And it's, we call it the shiny ball syndrome in, in the startup world. It's so easy to chase all these shiny balls and never actually get done what you're supposed to get done. Right. And so we're, we're we, we, we've gotten calls from 60 minutes from Ellen DeGeneres from, I mean, you name New York Times. Now the word has gotten out. You're just carefully managing. We, we just keep saying no and pretend that they're not asking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Because we're just okay. not ready yet. Okay. And, and we have to stay focused. Like the mission is so important. We have right. to stay focused as best as we can on the, on the core of what it will take to get to, the, to where we need to be. It's really wise. Um, it's the wisdom of having 11 businesses. So what, talk to us about the True Colors brand. And um, a little, a little bit about the branding, and um, I mean, do you want to make it into like a Tom's? I, I, I don't know. I mean, so it, Tom's culture is different than ours, uh, and, and culture is really mm-hmm. important, right? Like when you when you start a business, you you need to figure out what your culture is that will drive you to the finish line you're trying to get to. You know, and we're not we're not a give back company in that way, uh, and, and some of that honestly is cultural. We are kind of in that we. I guess you, we give back to our own mission, but we see ourselves more. We're a for-profit company uh, that has a really tightly integrated social mission, and we get our hands dirty every day. Like we don't, we're not just writing a check or sending a, a case of beer somewhere. Like we are heavily involved in day-to-day, heavily involved in trying to stop violence and unite communities. Um, and so, in that regard, I think we're different than many of the the groups that might be out there. You remind me of Anita Roddick. Um, may she rest in peace, uh, who founded the body shop. And she basically founded the body shop not to sell, you know, potions and lotions. She wanted to make it a soapbox for, um, you know, disadvantaged or underserved, um, you know, age 
origin products and ingredients, which, which she did. And she was way ahead of her time. Even Ben and Jerry's. I mean, I grew up around Ben and Jerry's and Tom's of Maine, Tom Chapel and Gary Hirschberg, you know, people who created businesses with true, deep, authentic social missions. Um, you know, whether it was, you know, toothpaste that was clean or yogurt that was made from, you know, non-GMO cows and bovine growth hormone and, you know, people that really cared. Right. Well, but they also had to make money, too, because they couldn't scale what they wanted to impact. Well, and, and I think that's the point with True Colors. Like the business side of True Colors would not exist were it not for the mission. Like the mission came first, right? And then the business came because we needed to find a way to support that. It just so happens that we picked a business we believe that is very much aligned with our mission. It brings people together, right? Sit down, have a beer, start that conversation uh, and start challenging beliefs and start thinking about you know, what we can do to bring people together in the future. So the business aligns, we think, beautifully with what, with our social mission. But, you know, the world doesn't really need another beer. There's a lot of beer out there, right? Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, and I get it. And frankly, you know, if you think about, we have had, we've been so fortunate to have so many companies and retailers and people and media reach out to want to help us either sell or distribute or talk about our product. They wouldn't want to do that if we didn't have the social mission, right? You and I wouldn't be talking. I'm curious because you say that you're a startup guy. You love startups, but you get out of them. Is this sounds like though this is a personal passion. Is this something that you're going to do for two or three years? You're going to have the model, then you're going to sell it? Here's the thing. So you look at True Colors. First of all, all of our team has stock options, right? Just like a software company. And so you didn't say that. Yeah, okay. So, they all have. That's great. So an exit opportunity is good for all of our team. But we have this really strange thing where we have this mission that we have to protect at any cost, right? And so we would have to find the right acquirer to make that mm. work. But mm -hmm. we we are very much interested. I mean, we talked to, we talked about impact investors, right? It's not philanthropy; they're looking for a return, right? Uh, and so we have to be able to provide that. And so you know, we're actively positioning ourselves to be acquired down the road. There's no question about that. But mm -hmm. we'll be very, very selective when that time comes. Uh, and we may end up saying no. I, I don't know how to answer that. Let's talk about post-COVID. Let's talk about the world. I mean, you know, I've been working in the field of purpose for over 30 years. And I've seen all sorts of different business models. And, you know, the, the startups, the, the small ones, the large ones, you know, love Unilever. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of Starbucks and AB and Bev because they really, they just operate purposefully. They truly are authentic. Post-COVID, I would think that companies and brands that truly have an embedded social mission have a blue sky for opportunity. I mean, I, I think if you there's a lot of statistics that, I, uh, that will show you that companies that have missions, social missions at their core, uh, perform better over time. There's no question about that. And I think that's because they're their team is involved in something bigger than just selling beer or selling ice cream or whatever it might be there. You know, there's a much bigger mission involved. And so you, you get better performance. I think too, leaders and companies are going to be judged by what they do during this time right now. Right. You know, there's a couple of choices. You can very easily go and withdraw, sit on the couch for the next two, three months and then try to come back. Uh, or, you know, what our position is, is, this is when we should take more risk and be more aggressive uh, at going after our mission because people need it. And 
frankly, people that they need it, they want it, they're sitting around looking for it. I want to thank you, George Taylor, for sharing the story of True Colors post-COVID. I believe that social impact companies will be in great demand. Make sure that your lager tastes great and is available, I know, all over North Carolina. We look forward to tasting it. We look forward to hearing more. And I just want to end with this asking our listeners, what is your purpose? Purpose.